And let's pray. Father, we ask that you fill us with your spirit so that Christ would be our greatest treasure and that we would know in having him we have all that we need and that we have courage to face all the challenges that we may face this week, standing on the solid truth of the gospel in dependence upon you. Please speak to us now through your word we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, about six million people tuned in uh, for the final of the traitors. Um, who was going to win the 100,000? Would it be the, the faithful or the traitors? How good are you, are you at working out whether someone is lying to you? How, how, can you know that someone is loyal and someone is lying? Well, it's a fascinating show for discovering that, isn't it? And of course... Each week there, there comes a moment with bated breath, the person who's been picked to be uh, booted out of the show, they stand in a circle and they look at everyone and they take a long time to eventually answer the question, are you a faithful or are you a traitor? Which one are they? Well, it's a big question, isn't it? And it's the big question, I think, hanging over Timothy. Which would he prove to be? The Apostle Paul was in prison. He was suffering for preaching the gospel. He'd been calling on people to repent and believe the good news. Um, prison cells in those days were horrible places, not humane, no personal hygiene, probably in some underground place with no uh, lights, no privacy, wearing uncomfortable heavy chains, treated like a common criminal, uh, no medical treatment. And fellow Christians, fellow Christian leaders, had deserted the Apostle Paul in his hour of need. Perhaps embarrassed by his suffering, not wanting to receive what he was getting, they'd put distance between themselves and Paul. When he first stood before uh, the courts, uh, no one had stood with him to defend him. He was facing a potential death sentence, and it brought an absolute clarity to what needed to be done. And so he writes this letter to Timothy. It's the last letter we have of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Timothy was someone that he had perhaps even led to Christ, someone that he had discipled, someone he had trained. He had become a valued member of the missionary team. And so as the heat was on, what would Timothy do? Would he be a faithful or would he be a deserter? And what if strong opposition started growing here in Edinburgh? That we actually began to experience people being arrested because they were uh, breaking anti-conversion laws in the land. If the pastoral team was arrested this coming week, if such a thing were in place, and people at work were saying, hey, was that... Uh, is that your pastor I read about in the evening news? What would you say? Is that your church? I wonder if the next Sunday after all the, the pastoral team had been put in a, in a cell, would you be here on Sunday like normal? When the hardships come, when the day of suffering comes, when the difficulties come, will you be a faithful or a deserter. Well, please open your Bibles to 2 Timothy. We're just going to focus on verses 11 to 18 in chapter 1, but I'm going to read from the very beginning. 
uh, and you'll find those on page 1195 in the church Bibles, page 1195. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. What you've heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Anesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. This is God's word. He's in prison. What do you think, you know, if you were in prison, what would you be writing to other people? Get me out of here. I don't know. That's not what he writes, is it? His concern is actually to, to write a passionate letter to Timothy to urge him to, to join with Paul in being willing to suffer for the gospel, to urge him to stay faithful to the gospel, to stay on course with gospel ministry, even though it's tough. While many are deserting, Paul is urging Timothy to be loyal. While some are abandoning the gospel, he is called to guard 
the gospel. Now, I've got two main points this morning. Firstly, guard the gospel. And secondly, refresh those who guard the gospel. And just so you don't sweat, the first point is most of the sermon, okay? So firstly, guard the gospel. Look at verse 13. What you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Now let's break that down. What you've heard from me, the Apostle Paul says. Now what's his priority? It is the preciousness of the gospel. Christ Jesus himself had entrusted Paul with the task of being his witness to the nations of how Jesus had come to save people from their sins. And my friends, if you're here today and you don't know this, this is the most precious thing you could grab hold of today. And if, you don't, if it's not clear to you, don't leave today without talking to someone saying, I want this to be clear to me. Can you explain to me? It is the most precious thing. Jesus sent Paul on his way to send the message to the nations, to the Gentiles, to call them to turn from darkness into the light of Jesus, to, to being enslaved to Satan, to, to become part of the family of God, that their sins could be forgiven uh, by trusting Jesus as their Savior, uh, by relying on his death on the cross, where Jesus destroyed death, and trusting the one who was raised from the dead. What an incredible moment. Can you imagine? There was a corpse in Jerusalem. It had been laid in the tomb, and suddenly... Jesus took a breath again. His heart started beating. Proven to all, he has destroyed death, never to die again. My friends, if there is someone like that, is he not worth knowing? Is he not worth trusting with your whole life? There is nothing more precious than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Repent and believe the good news. And this was the gospel message that Jesus entrusted Paul with. Look at verse 11. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald. His job is to preach it. I'm an apostle. I was sent by Jesus and a teacher of the gospel. That is why I am suffering as I am. Now notice, he's not ashamed to suffer for the gospel. Why? Well, look at verse 12. It is no cause for shame. Because I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Firstly, he knew Jesus could be trusted. He had a deep personal relationship with Jesus, who he had surrendered his life to. He once thought Jesus was a charlatan, a blasphemer. And then he, on Damascus Road, he realized he was the Lord of glory. He had to surrender his whole life to him. He knew that Jesus was the greatest treasure. And his life was lived in this conscious relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. I love the words of what he wrote in his first letter to the church in Galatia. It says this in 2.20. Uh, that moment of, of surrendering his life to Jesus was like this. I have been crucified with Christ. His old life for himself, dead. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but the life I live, 
I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ was alive in him. He didn't see his life through his difficulties. He saw his life through his deep relationship of trust in the Son of God who loved him, who died for him, who was raised for him, who was sovereign over all things. And his spirit lived and empowered Paul in his ministry. He knows he's not in prison just because the Roman authorities locked him. He's in prison because he was the Lord's prisoner. The Lord wanted him in prison, as he says. There was a purpose. There was a point to his suffering. How precious a thought that is. My friend, if you're trusting Christ, there's nothing wasted in your life, not your suffering, not your hardships. There's nothing wasted by this Lord. He knew Jesus, and he knew Jesus could be trusted. And the second reason he was not ashamed to be in prison was he knew that the the task that he'd been entrusted with ultimately didn't rely on him, but on Jesus. Jesus had entrusted him the task of preaching the gospel, but he knew ultimately the cause of the gospel didn't ultimately rest on him, but on Jesus. Now, in the original language of the Greek, there are two possible ways that this verse could be translated. The way the NLV has done it, where Paul says that he could trust Jesus with his life and perhaps the work of the gospel. Or it could be put in the way that the English Standard Version or the Christian Standard Bible put it. And let me quote the Christian Standard Bible to you. But I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. The difference between the two is perhaps not a massive difference, but I think probably the, the, the Christian Standard Bible is correct. Paul had been entrusted with the gospel by Jesus. And Paul knew that Jesus was able to safeguard the message of the gospel, the cause of his gospel throughout the world until Christ came back. And so he's not in prison thinking, gosh, this work of the gospel, it's all down to me. And if I'm locked up, it's stuck. It's not going to go anywhere. He wasn't anxious like that. He knew that that Jesus would be faithful to make sure that that gospel got out. He was not the only one. He's not anxious. He's trusting that the sovereign God, who chose to give his grace to uh, Paul before time itself, and then caused his son to appear God's grace appearing in flesh in Jesus and who had chosen to sovereignly stop Paul on the Damascus road and save him despite him being a rebel and a rejecter. Christ grabbed hold of him. This one who's sovereign over all of salvation, he will be faithful to keep that gospel going out so that the nations are gathered in until, using the language that Paul uses later in 2 Timothy, until all the elect are gathered in, to use the words of Jesus in Mark 13 as well, he knows that the sovereign God will be faithful and he will do it. I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Isn't that amazing? He's not anxious. He's not fretful for himself. The Apostle Paul just had this deep confidence in the Lordship of Jesus Christ and God's good purpose will be worked out in all circumstances. 
And I think that's very precious for all of us who are going through trials and difficulties that I know many of you are going through in the fellowship. You can be convinced of this. The loving Savior is able to sustain you and keep you. And as pastors leave Charlotte Chapel in 2024 to further the work of the gospel elsewhere, you know what? He's able to keep us on track as a church. You know, there are graphs that project moving forwards, you know, with the decline of the church in Scotland, if you keep following the trajectory that basically there's no, no Christians and no churches left in 2050, 2060. Do you know what? If Jesus tarries, if he doesn't come back until then, I can guarantee there will be churches and there will be Christians because Jesus is faithful. Whatever you've heard from me, he says, Keep as the pattern of sound teaching. Now, Paul has this strong confidence in the sovereignty of God, in in God's plan of salvation. But notice this doesn't make him passive. He doesn't say, well, God is sovereign and and he's going to do it, so I'll just sit back and watch. There's no sort of hyper-Calvinism going on here. The sovereignty of God drives Paul to action. It spurred him to give himself to the hard work of spreading the gospel. Because God is at work, Paul gave himself to that work. He knew that God's sovereign work of saving people would be accomplished through his work of proclamation and teaching. After all, he traveled from Antioch. Uh, all the way to Timothy's home in, in Lystra to share the gospel, no doubt where Timothy became a Christian. And he had invested in Timothy, and he trained him in, in the truth of the gospel and sent him on his way to be part of his missions team. And so he says to him, what you've heard from me, keep it, Timothy. Hold fast to the message that I preach to you. Don't be a traitor. Be faithful to it. Keep as the pattern of sound teaching. That's a very interesting phrase. There's a definite shape to the gospel. You can know what the gospel is. There is content about Jesus and about his life and his death and his resurrection and the need to repent and to believe the good news, uh, to be saved. There's content that we need to grab hold of in order to be saved, to experience salvation. Uh, That's why we take time to do things like Hope Explored. We want people to be really clear on the gospel. Sometimes when we interview people who want to become members, we ask them to say, share with us what is the gospel. And sometimes they're not that clear. And so we say to them, look, we'd love to just invest in you so you're absolutely clear before you become a member. Because it is of utmost importance you understand the The shape of this gospel, the pattern of sound teaching. See, we're not free to make up our own message, our own ideas. It is possible to make up your own message. It just won't be a saving message if it's not the gospel that was preached by the apostles, by the apostle Paul. Some leaders are deserting Paul and departing from the truth. This is what Paul's going to call in chapter 2, godless chatter. You know, you can meet with religious groups and hear all sorts of 
chattering away, godless chatter that sounds sort of pseudo-spiritual and significant, but Paul describes it as a teaching that can spread like gangrene. People will come up with the message, oh, that sounds interesting, that sounds nice. False teaching can be infectious, even as it is diseased and deadly to those who believe it and follow it. So in contrast, Timothy had received from Paul sound teaching. Now that word sound, um, the, the word underlying it has this idea of being whole, healthy, free from disease. This is the, the message that's free from distortion that will do people eternal good. Don't give yourself to godless chatter, Timothy. Preach the sound teaching. Hold fast to that. And if you're new to Christianity, I need to warn you that there are still many Christian cults and cult leaders at work in Edinburgh today. They'll be very nice people. You're going to meet them on social media. You might see them standing on street corners, handing you magazines. They'll knock on your doors. They'll befriend you. They'll be really nice people. But the message that they're preaching is not the gospel. It's godless chatter. It's like gangrene. It'll not save you if it's different to the teachings of the apostles that we find in the New Testament. And pastors and elders and Bible teachers, our job is to hold on to this gospel from the New Testament. The gospel preached by the apostles from the Lord Jesus. The job of the pastor is not to be creative and follow a trajectory that he thinks, well, the gospel's good and then we just keep following on to some other story. We need to Hold firmly to it. Hold firmly to it, verse 13, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. The way to faithfulness, the way to persevering loyalty to the gospel is by a deep, personal faith commitment to Jesus, one that's marked by love. My friends... um, If you're tempted to drift, it's because you've forgotten how amazing Jesus is. If you're tempted by another message, you've forgotten how brilliant the gospel is. And we need to spend daily times with the Lord in communion and fellowship with the Lord Jesus as we read and study the pattern of sound teaching of the apostles in the New Testament and rejoice at it, sing it, proclaim it. Believe it. Love this Jesus who is at the heart of the message. That's how Paul's enduring and staying loyal to Jesus in the hardship of prison. Why would he give up on Jesus? He can't give up on Jesus. Jesus is everything to the apostle Paul. And says, Timothy, dude, don't let go of him. Paul as entrusted to Timothy what Jesus had entrusted to him. And what Paul had entrusted to Timothy was, was the gospel, the good deposit. The idea of, of uh, verse 14 of, of, of the, the, the word good as this idea of beauty. Um, the good news about Jesus is, is a beautiful treasure that Paul has passed on. To Timothy, this wonderful treasure. And his job is to basically guard this wonderful treasure of the gospel. 
When someone hands you something precious, you don't go, oh, oh, like that. If someone shows you something, hands you something really precious, like a vase or something like that, you hold, but I don't actually, I'm not sure I want to hold it. You don't play around with it. The gospel is to be protected and honored. It's not to be dropped or diluted. It's to be desired and to be delighted in. Timothy, guard the good deposit. Guard the gospel with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And this is so wonderful encouraging, isn't it? My Christian friends, this doesn't really rest with my resolve. I am to look to the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. What a reminder. This glorious God, the transcendent one who created all things, since you've surrendered your life to Jesus, this God has come into your life by his Holy Spirit. There is nowhere you will go this week where God is not with you. His Spirit is within you. And you'll know if the Spirit is within you because your life has changed. You're different. You can't really help it. Suddenly you care about the Lord Jesus. You didn't care about him before. You honor his name. You didn't honor his name before. You love his word. You didn't love the Bible before. You're excited about going to church. I mean, who's excited about going to church? Only people in whom the Spirit of God lives. I don't know why you'd bother going to church if the Spirit of God doesn't live in you. I can do other things, I think. But actually, I love being here because I'm born again by his Spirit. I'm amongst my family. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to be his witnesses. He empowers us to treasure the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he will give leaders power and love and self-discipline to teach it, guard it, and to be willing to suffer for it. And so if you're feeling like giving up, then it's time to draw near to God in prayer, to seek his power. Reread the Gospels. Talk to the Lord Jesus as you read about him. He is the same Jesus yesterday, today, and forever. Delight in the gospel. Never be, never forget how amazing that you are saved. You are saved by grace alone. Rejoice in it. Uh, whether it's parents teaching their children, Sunday school teachers teaching their children in the church, small group leaders, yak growth group leaders, my friends, we need to be people who delight in the gospel because that will keep us faithful to guarding the gospel. Second point, refresh those who guard the gospel. See, many in Asia deserted the Apostle Paul, including Vigelus, I always have to have another look at it before I say it, and Hermogenes. They must have been influential leaders. Uh, Asia is that area around, well, we know to get today as, as, as Turkey, um, this is around the area of Ephesus and the regions. And Paul says, maybe it's slightly overstated, but it felt to him like that everyone in the province had deserted him, including these key leaders. But there was a wonderful man called Onesiphorus, and he was not ashamed of Paul's chains. See, Paul had had trouble in Ephesus. He'd been imprisoned there. 
And many people had made his life difficult. And yet Onesiphorus was the one who'd come to find Paul and refresh Paul. It's a word that means give life, sustain, encourage. In prison, you're not provided in those days with uh, food or clothes or anything to keep you comfortable. It was up to friends and supporters to turn up with those things. So Onesiphorus was a very practical guy who kept coming to Paul and giving him food, something to drink, care for his needs, sustained his life. Now, we don't know much about this man apart from these verses. Was he a businessman who used his resources to bless Paul, to to keep going in his ministry? Was he on a business trip to Rome uh, when he bravely took the time to keep searching through all the darkened, damp, smelly dungeon prison cells of Rome until he found the apostle Paul to support and encourage him? It took persistence to be this sort of guy, didn't it? He didn't, didn't know where he was, but he didn't stop looking until he found him, to encourage him. Praise God for people like Onesiphorus, whose heart is to encourage Christian leaders to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Loyal, sacrificial, practical, persevering. Those who put courage into gospel ministers, How thankful we are as a staff team for those who regularly give financially to support the work of this church. It sustains our lives, enables us to uh, keep going. Thank you so much for uh, that we could have such a wonderful report from the treasurer this morning. Your encouragement and practical care refreshes and sustains gospel work. My friends, can I encourage you to think this week of our gospel ministry partners is there something you could do this week that would refresh them? An encouragement? Maybe a phone call or a message? What could you do to bless our uh, ministry partners who are reaching out with the gospel around the world and across cultural situations? Could you be a blessing to them this week? Could we be like an Esophorus? And when hardships come, when it it starts to cost us to be identified as Christians here in in Edinburgh, will we be faithful or will we be deserters? Will we be willing to stand with those who are suffering for the gospel in this way today? And if the day of hardship does come here in Scotland, may the Lord show us mercy as his people. May we be faithful to guard the gospel with the help of of the Holy Spirit. So invite the band up. I'm hearing the tune saying it's over. <laughs> so it must be over. We're going to stand and uh, affirm uh, through this final song that there is one gospel. Let's stand and sing.